The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. There's no doubt the mysterious GM was a podcast host. Always two there are. No more, no less. A producer and a co-host. Welcome back to the Dark Times Podcast. Welcome back to the Dark Times Podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite swoop bike racer. And I'm Steven, your favorite corporate agent. There we go. Yeah, there you go. I wonder who can guess the theme already. <laughs> we had some feedback from last week. We get feedback every week. Like, just like, you know, like, great, great job. Keep it up, folks. But this this is like one big email we got that we wanted to read. because been um, a while since it's we've had a, been a, while. a chunky one. This is a nice chunky email. And um, I, wanted, I wanted to read it because, honestly, I, I relate to the context of this email a lot. And honestly, if I had known better, I thought I had written this. Steven and I were in the podcast minds. Turning out some gems, and we found this big vein right here. Let's let's unearth it for the rest of you listeners. Yeah, out there. let's get after this big vein. <laughs> Steven and Sam, I loved the update on your campaign, and I'm excited for you to see where this combat leads. The Crimson Fleet sounds awesome, and I'll have to keep that idea in my mind for something down the line. Thank you. Having heard your story, I can't help but think of my own campaign and how much I dread running combat. It's not that I don't want to run combat, it's that I'm always worried I'm slowing down the game too much for my players. Whenever I run combats, I try to end my turns as quickly as possible so that my players' turns take up the majority of the time. However, this leads to me not using my NPC's stats to their fullest and not getting too involved with tactics. I would really like to change that, but I'm not sure how to do this without my turns taking as long as the players. Especially for larger combats where I'm running allies and enemies. My turns tend to be large chunks in the initiative order. I feel like I only have good combat scenarios when it's 1v1, when I really know the stat block and feel more comfortable describing what is going on turn by turn. Do I need to memorize stat blocks more fully? How do you run your larger combats? I know about the squad mechanics, but it still feels like I simplify things too much just so my turns end faster. Any advice or scenarios you could talk me through would be great. Still loving the show, guys. I'm still a loyal listener and look forward to each new episode when I learn more about this amazing game. May the force be with you, Nathaniel. Thank you so much, Nate. This was a, a very, very good, very touching, very real email. I can tell you're you're really being yeah, really got with us through here. the spam filters with that yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> we're shoveling through spam trying to find these gems in here in the podcast minds. Uh, Nate brings up some good points, Stephen. Yeah, um, I I struggle with this every session. Like, I think every GM probably struggles. with Right. Probably. I mean, maybe I, I like for me personally, I feel like I'm also like I, I think the word is is insecure about how much time I take up at the table. I mean, there was this one particularly formative instance a long time ago with a player who we still play with today. And I could tell that, that they were were very uncomfortable with the amount of time we were spending on a given objective. And ever since then, I've been super, super nervous that I'm like boring one of you guys or that I am not providing an entertaining experience. And, you know, I, we all got our own lives and all, all our own experiences. But that idea to me that I'm like wasting your guys' time not being interesting is very scary for me. That's fair, Stephen. That's a fair thing to assume. And, you know, kind of really delves into human nature there. How yeah, we all kind of yeah. feel like that in our day to day lives. Let me say something that I think might simplify this for both Nate and just for anyone else listening. OK. NPCs are not the heroes. Yes. And sure, you can make cool NPCs who do cool things, but keep in mind, 
they're not the heroes. No, their turns aren't supposed. To, I mean, they can be cool. And there's those moments when they get the straight nat 20. That's super cool. Yeah. But they're not going to set up their infinite combo, you know, serenity or whatever Jedi master stuff. Cause they're not the heroes. Absolutely. When in doubt, eight, use eight and over. Oh, okay. If you don't know what to make an NPC do, have them aid a player or provide an opening for a player. So that's not what Nate's saying at all. What's he saying? Take one step back. Okay. <laughs> I'm missing the forest for the trees. I, yeah. Clearly. I, yeah. Um, Nate's not talking about NPCs outshining players. Nate's talking about he's got his NPCs on the board during combat. He's worried about taking up too much time away from the players. I thought he was worried about not using those NPCs to the fullest. That too. That too. That too. You can't have your cake and eat it too. It sounds like. No. Well, so. NPC combatants are that they're non-player characters. They can be cool and not have the spotlight. So what, what, what Sam's trying to say, Nate, is I think that it's fine that you don't take a lot of time to use your NPCs. How do you most efficiently use the time you do have? I think is the question Nate's after. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Nate, I've come across this many times before, you know, I've, I've slowed down as like, Oh God, our story has this nice quick pace. I'm slowing it down by just taking up NPC turns. But when you're doing your session prep, depending on how much time you have run a couple practice rounds for yourself. If there's NPC allies, if there's NPC enemies, Play out some games, some rounds, sorry, just by yourself and get a feel for how these stat blocks work. What I do, and since, you know, NPCs are and Swissy are pretty much, you know, bereft of this. I look real hard at the stat block. I don't memorize it. I just look at the talents and the feats and the numbers and see what goes where. And then I write down a sentence about what this NPC does in combat. This is their tactics. This is what they do. What does this stat block specialize in? Exactly. Like, for example, we were talking about that. Um, we had that hut encounter in Point in a Deer. I, the hut had a really cool combo of spamming impel ally and intimidation checks to hamper the, the player's skill checks mostly and get better uh, turn economy out on the board. I just wrote down spam impel ally and intimidation <laughs> checks. That's all I had. I pulled up the stat block when I needed like the, the reflex defense or the HP. But I, I had I had the HP. This this particular hut had shields and one sentence with what the NPC does. That really helps me remember instead of, you know, fumbling. And I've done this a lot. Fumbling in the middle of a combat going, oh, um, oh, what does an elite stormtrooper do? Uh, Really with sort of. Uh, NPC enemies and allies, you can kind of trim the fat of those stat blocks. Yes. Like the hut on point of deer. It has the gambler talent, but you don't need to remember that. No, for the combat. Absolutely not. So don't even don't even memorize it. Don't even commit it to memory. The information that's useful to glean from stat blocks is going to be entirely contextual on what your encounter is. And I'm sure you've figured out what your encounter is before you selected the stat blocks. God, God I hope that's that's some working backwards. Hey, sometimes shit. you work with what you got. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Nate, I hope, I hope that's, that's useful advice. Just write down a sentence beforehand, take 30 minutes, run a few rounds of combat, write down a sentence at which each stat block should do during the encounter. Give yourself the freedom and room to improvise. And this is something I need to do in this arena. Talk to your players, ask for genuine feedback. I know it's, it's such a cliche to just say, talk to your players whenever you have any sort of doubt or, or conflict, but no, seriously, ask your players straight up. Like, how do you guys feel about the time I take up during combats? Say that sentence. Take it. It's yours, Nate. Here, I'm handing it out to you and anyone else who's listening. Just ask. It's one of those things where 
I think it's really dependent on what kind of stat blocks you're using. Right? Yes. So like named characters, stuff like that. They're going to have very specific things that they're pretty good at doing or some stat blocks might be all around good. And you just got to find one or two things that you want them to do during this combat. And Steven does this really well in combats I've I've had with him in it. Officers or any sort of like stormtroopers, elites, they like to gang up and do like aid another suppressing fire, stuff like that. Morale bonuses, morale hindrances against players. Those are things that are kind of overlooked in Swiss EIC. Absolutely. And it's the key to running a big encounter. You know, the, the it's a big encounter, but it's a facade. Most of those mooks there are just to aid the elite mooks. And your players are going to be like, holy fuck, tactics. Yes. Oh, God. Ta- yeah. There's tactics in this game. They're going to be. They're going to be pulling from each individual stormtrooper and cutting them in half. <laughs> you mean you're telling me there's tactics now? Oh, shit. Exactly. Especially if you get the, the classic like officer trust talent stormtrooper combo where now you have squads of stormtroopers rattling off two standard actions a turn. Or or they're using a, a turret and the officers supplying them constant standard actions for that turret. Exactly. It's one of those things where. NPCs in combat aren't we've talked about this. They're not always the goal no. of the of the encounter. More so an obstacle. At least and they an probably obstacle, should be. And they should be treated as such. Yeah. But it's hard, like I was saying earlier, it's hard to lose it's it's easy to lose the forest for the trees. Um trying to figure out what these cool stat blocks can be used for and stuff like that. Absolutely. And you know, I I back speaking back to my point about just, you know, gaining feedback from your players. I do it during the session too. I, I if there's a big encounter coming up, I usually preface it like Hey guys, there's a lot of enemies coming up. I'm sorry, but I'm going to need to take a lot of time on my turns. And what happens pretty much every time is you or someone else says, "Oh, Steven, that's that's all good. That's fine." Yeah, like that's okay. If your players are um, friends, preferably, yeah, like friends with each other, or at least decent people, they're just going to riff for a bit while you do your <laughs> your magic stuff backstage, GM. Yeah, you ain't got to be perfect. I say, "Hey guys, can we take five? I got to set up this next encounter all the time." Yeah, I like almost every session. I say something to that effect. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a pee break. That's a snack break. It's, exactly. I got to go grab my Uber Eats at the door. You know, stuff like that. Exactly. <laughs> and the players can take care of that stuff, so they're ready and super engaged by the time they come back, and your encounter is good to go. And no one remembers the time you took five minutes to prep an encounter. They only remember the great encounter they had afterwards. Note that most of the all of the RPG horror stories you can read online, none of them are my GM took a little extra time to ensure the encounter was the way he liked it. No one's ever seems to be complaining about that. Nate. So, Nate, if if I had to guess anything from from the several communications you've had with the podcast, you're probably a fantastic GM with a passion for storytelling in Star Wars. Um, ask your players for some feedback, but I, I, I think you're fine. Take the couple pieces of advice we've given you, practice combat, write down a sentence of tactics, get feedback from your players. And I, I, I think you'll be fine. This is no big deal. And if Steven and I have said something that resonates with you and you want to use in your next combat, I'd love to hear about it. Or uh, if we didn't say something that you <laughs> yeah. think we really freaking should have. If you're like, you guys, you missed this one big thing about large combats is that you just throw a rancor in that bitch and you're done with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. I Listen, listen, you know, we did this last week. We're doing it again. Here, pull back the veneer of the GM screen. It's as long as it's dynamic and it pushes the story forward. Your players aren't going to care how many NPCs there are. I Listen, I had a combat. It was... Some random mooks in a docking bay, and there was a, yes, a yes. speeder with a turret on the back of it, and the speeder exploded halfway through the combat. It was great. It was so much it was because, just, of course, it did. Yeah, I saw it. It had a power. I was like, Sam, is that a power generator? And you're like, Yeah. I'm like, Is it a power generator per as written in the core rulebook? <laughs> and you're like, 
Uh, yeah. And I'm like, cool, I blow it up. <laughs> it's one of those things that, I mean, if there's a memorable moment and not every combat has to have no. the, the big Star Wars it's not a fucking Marvel movie, boys. We don't have to do this. You, no. can, you can have combats that are just straight up combats. Yeah. It's as long as they push the story forward in a way and you're not just sending players after mooks after mooks, then you're doing a good job. If it's meaningful and it makes people think even for a little bit, if those little brain cells inside their heads rub together for a second, they're going to think you're an excellent storyteller. That's just the, the facts of the situation. It's all it all boils down to how much group fun everyone's having at the same time. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Nate, and we appreciate you listening to the show. Nate, thank you so much for your longtime support of the podcast. And anyone else who'd like to reach out, please, you can find us at darktimeswissy at gmail. Nicely done. Steven, let's talk about, um, there is a bantha in the room. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you and I mentioned how excited we were for the Knights of the Old Republic game remake. Yeah, a great little piece of news come out since then. The uh, art director and game design lead are both fired upon presenting a vertical slice demo to some executives. And it's now completely in doubt whether or not Asper will be the ones to continue with the much anticipated Knights of the Old Republic remake. I think the words were indefinitely delayed. Indefinitely <laughs> delayed. They said we need at least three years, but it's def indefinitely delayed. <laughs> um, to which I say, ouch. That's pretty rough. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to know what it was like in that room. I, Sam, I, I desperately wish <laughs> I was a fly. fly oh, <laughs> I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. Not because I enjoy when Star Wars production suffers. In fact, I, I hate when Star Wars production suffers and it suffers a lot. But mostly I just want to see what demo was so bad to result in the loss of two leads of, of their jobs. Can I I want to I want to throw a guess out here, Stephen. I want to say it played just like normal KOTOR. And that was probably the problem. That's what our friends were saying, too, that it, they probably if I know anything about video game history. And I know a touch of video game history. <laughs> it's that in this exact scenario with various other IPs, they probably took a fuck ton of money. Apparently they were already over budget and hadn't even entered full production yet. They produced a demo that was technically gorgeous, but played and looked exactly like the original PC game. That's my guess. And then the execs in there were like, why isn't this we an action you, RPG? Yeah. <laughs> why isn't this a hack and slash action RPG? <laughs> That's not what is this? This isn't a battle royale game. What you guys <laughs> supposed to be making a battle royale game? What's going on over here? <laughs> but yeah, and anything beyond what we said, of course, is pretty much pure speculation. There aren't very many details actually confirmed about this. And there's all sorts, you know, the usual suspects are spreading all sorts of things. But I imagine this news, Sam, inspired you for, for what we're going to talk about today. Yes, yeah, Stephen. Let's say I'm uh, someone who enjoys Star Wars content. Yes. Let's, let's not, say. Let's just pretend. Yeah. <laughs> let's pretend I'm someone who enjoys Star Wars content. And loves the Old Republic setting. Yes. How can I bring that into my SAG edition games at home? I've never seen a book before also. I've never seen... <laughs> I've only been on like three pages on the wiki and I've never seen any other books other than the core rule book. How do I bring the Old Republic feel to my home games? So, Sam, it's a fantastic question with a very easy answer. And we'll get to that very easy answer in, in just a moment. I have to ask you a question in response. Why, why did you... Someone who has not gotten past Terrace in Coder 1. Someone who didn't even know Coder 2 existed until last week. I knew Coder 2 know, existed. I'm, That's I'm, totally... I'm, the, what, what are you I'm, saying? I'm, the Sith Lords is the name of the fucking game. I know it existed. I'm, I'm lying oh, into the microphone. He's, he's exaggerating for hyperbole's sake, apparently. Yes. yes. Um, 
Why? Why did you? Why were you inspired to cover Coder today? I, you you would be would be among the last I would expect to want to tackle Coder Swissy stuff. Even the trivia you gave us last week, where Bioware was allowed to just do whatever they wanted, and almost in the Star fully Wars universe, execute their creative vision. I was like, oh fuck, I need to get back into this. <laughs> <laughs> I also just like the concept. I mean, it's great. You've got warring factions on a much larger scale than we do in normal Star Wars history. It's Absolutely, not, it's not so much insurmountable odds against a like a, an evil empire it's a bunch of different planets and peoples butting heads and sometimes it's the jedi's fault sometimes <laughs> it's not and there's warring people it's, it's it's a cool world and there's so much star wars magic that they, magic and like capital m magic that yeah. they've added into kotor that is vastly different from the rest of the Star Wars universe. You know, Sam, I think I think you answered my my half sarcastic question uh beautifully. Yeah, thank you. I've had PR training since last week. I was in in anticipation of this moment. Well, that's great. And you're right, Sam. I I'm also believe that Kodor presents a quite more nuanced and even dare I say realistic portrayal of conflict in a fantastical sci-fi galaxy. And that shit is really good. Your question was how do we bring Coder action to our Swissy table. Well, what if I told you that there was such a book entitled Knights of the Old Republic Campaign Guide for Star Wars Saga Edition? No fucking way. Yes, they wrote, they published, it's, I think it's the biggest. Are you fucking with me right now? I'm not. Holy shit. It's the biggest supplement for the game by page count, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yes. Wait, it, that's really It cool, rivals actually. the core rulebook in size. Wow. And that was their goal, Rodney and co. When they set out to do this, they wanted to make the core rulebook for Knights of the Old Republic. And it's a massive book, one that we could not even hope to encapsulate in a single episode, but we're going to try to get the big parts. The cool parts, the flashy parts. The meaty parts. The parts you could package up in a little Tupperware and take home with you. Sam, you prepared a great little excerpt, the first paragraph of this campaign guide. Why don't you read it off for us? Absolutely. During the era of the Old Republic, Jedi battle against Sith Lords. Mandalorian warriors raid Outer Rim worlds, and the Republic struggles to fight off enemies at every turn. Smugglers dodge Sith warships and bluff their way past Republic Customs agents, while bounty hunters and mercenaries play both sides of every conflict for the greatest profit. Soldiers fight on distant battlefields and defend planets close to home. Vast empires rise, fall, and are reborn. This is the time of the Knights of the Old Republic campaign, and it is one of the most exciting periods in all Star Wars continuity. I'd have to agree. I mean, that's a pretty big claim, but I'd and George have to didn't even touch it. <laughs> George Lucas had very little to do with it. Another thing to keep in mind, you know, Kodor is valued for the creative freedom that was behind it. And you too, dear listener, also have unlimited creative freedom when it comes to running your games, even in the Kodor era. So, you know, let's dive right in. The for storytelling in the Knights of the Old Republic campaign guide, the book kind of sets up these five distinct pillars of, of tropes, of, of things, themes you can expect. Things typical of this universe. Yeah, of, of this era in the Star Wars galaxy. I've condensed it into like four. Okay. So we're going to just roll with that for the podcast. Totally. If you want to take a look at, at how the book does this, and I strongly recommend you do, I don't think this one podcast episode should prepare you for running a Knights of the Republic game, but it should inspire you to go out there and chew some more. This is the hook with a little bit of meat on it that you're tempted to put in your mm, mouth. Mm, 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 that's very good, Sam. Thank you. So the thing that comes to pretty much everyone's mind when we talk about running a Knights of the Old Republic campaign is the abundance of Force users. This is the emblematic feature of Kodor. There's 
tons of Jedi and tons of Sith. Uh, if you've ever dreamt about an all Jedi campaign, I know we all have. This is where you do it. Absolutely. Unless you want to do like Clone Wars which High Republic is cool too, or High Republic also, if that's your thing. But this, so what's cool about this is that you could have Jedi on both sides. Yes. Kind of what the deal is. Yes. Compared to a High Republic campaign where it's all the Jedi are going to be your allies mostly, you know? This is a, and if any of you who've, who've played Knights of the Old Republic, your inventory fills up with lightsabers pretty quick in the mid to late game. And that's because <laughs> that's just how many like force users there are. You have force and lightsaber wielding mooks in Knights of the Old Republic. And that, my friend, is is enticing. So there's there's numerous force groups. And this era is actually a home to a far less vigilant Jedi Order. The Jedi Order exists but it's a lot more loosey-goosey. It lacks a strong central authority. Jedi are pretty widely spread throughout the galaxy in various enclaves, academies, other institutions. Some may be professors at various other academic institutions in the galaxy, and they each tend to have small groups of pupils on their own. A couple exceptions to this. Is this the book that introduces Force traditions? Or am I wrong? I believe the Jedi Academy training manual has most of our Force traditions. Okay. I think that's the book I'm missing. I said in an earlier episode, I'm missing the Coder book. I'm not. I have the Coder book. I don't think I have the Jedi Academy book. I also don't have Galaxy of Intrigue. So if anyone has a copy of those, they're yeah. willing to part with. Yeah, re- reach will, out. Please reach out. Stephen will pay you handsomely. Don't go to eBay. DarktimeSwissy at gmail.com. Please. <laughs> Many planets are familiar with Force users and some equally familiar with Jedi and Sith representatives. In a single lifespan, say you're Joe Schmo in the Outer Rim, it's entirely possible that during your lifespan, you may have witnessed both a Jedi and a Sith on separate occasions. Your planet may be home to their own order of force users who are native to this world and allowed to operate with pretty much impunity as to how they do their force stuff without any heckling from the Jedi order. Joe Schmo sounds like a hut name. It does. Jo- Joe Schmo. <laughs> Joe Schmo the hut. That's great. And between the Great Sith War and the Dark Wars, and we'll get in more a, a brief overview of these these wars. It's going to be a little bit of a history class later, but we'll get a brief history of these wars later on. The Jedi are, are a mere remnant and and fractitious, which is actually a word I learned today. They, <laughs> <laughs> they they they're lacking a strong central authority. Like I said, the Jedi Council that we see in the the prequels that doesn't exist in the form that that we understand it to in the Old Republic era. There's also the Krath, which I also kind of just learned about, uh, funny enough. Uh, the Krath are dark side cultists whose belief are derived from the teachings of the ancient Sith. They swiftly gain political prominence and ignite numerous conflicts that go on to encompass the entire galaxy. Shortly thereafter, they form a coalition with the Sith and the Mandalorians, and you can probably tell what happens next. The Jedi just barely say, well, actually, I'll get into that later. I have, I have a little summary. <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> Uh, the patient Sith during the Old Republic era watch from the shadows and return in full force for the Great Sith War, filling very much the same role as the Empire does in the classic era we're all accustomed to. Another theme of the Old Republic era is civilization under siege. Several successive wars have thrown the Republic and the galaxy as a whole into turmoil. The criminal elements of the galaxy begin to take mainstream hold as doctrines and governments fail. The Exchange is a massive criminal network in the galaxy that largely thrives in the Outer Rim outside of Republic control and enforcement. They're ran by a mysterious individual slash entity who's only known as the Compeer. 
That's great. That's so cool. That's I love weird, so, I love so weird cool. like shit like that. Yeah, I didn't like. So I didn't really ever want to run an old republic campaign. Having like skimmed this for the show, oh man, I I really want to now. I just love it's it's you know you're away from the star walk the star walkers the sky yeah the sky, sky guys yeah the sky the sky the sky nobies and the star walkers <laughs> and I you know and the ray killers whatever they're called yeah I I'm far away from that stuff it's literally anyone I fucking want I can make anyone I want in this universe Steve you're right you're right and, and like Bioware I Bioware. I have now have complete creative narrative control. It's it's true. It's true. It's it's why this this era is so compelling for so many people. The Gino Hardon are a secret bounty hunters guild that's controlled by politically motivated overseers who influence thousands of politicians and corporate executives through selective and careful assassinations. That is the coolest name for a, a bounty hunter guild I've ever heard, by the way. Yes, I agree. And I guess the swoop gangs get an honorable mention here. If you're in Outer Rim world, chances are you are terrorized by a swoop gang in your daily life. Or you're in a swoop gang. <laughs> or you're in a swoop gang. Either one. Choose one. Swoop gangs revel in gambling, underground races, that sort of thing, and other opportunistic petty crimes, and also like kidnapping and murder, of course. Yeah, all that's all, all the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The third, and honestly, the most obvious pillar of the Old Republic era, is constant warfare. It's star wars baby we're not here for star patty cake you know not Not star peace george lucas is the least popular entry in the saga uh yeah also a a great uh, your friend here i've 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 preached this before galaxy at war is your friend galaxy at war has a lot of great tools for bringing large galaxy spanning conflicts to life in your games I've had great success with it with my Zero Distance campaign. That is a by-the-books Galaxy at War campaign, and it's been fantastic. That's that's what you need to emphasize this particular theme. Uh, from one end of the Old Republic era to the other, the galaxy is constantly torn by wars, and times of peace seem more rare than times of conflict. Most of the heroes in an Old Republic campaign will have experienced nearly a lifetime of war. The advent of the Clone Wars was a major event in the classic era, while the Old Republic has already weathered two galaxy-spanning wars by the time the Jedi Civil War begins. That's the the time of Revan. Um, I didn't realize that until I was reading straight from the book there. I didn't realize that until the book pointed it out to me. We have the post-Clone Wars, the Dark Times. That's our favorite era of play, you and me personally. Oh, yeah. Kodor era has two wars behind it before we see like our first glimpse of it through Revan's eyes. Why do you think the source book's so big, Steven? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're totally right. And, you know, I think that the, the people who wrote these wars did a really good job kind of setting up context for the, the next conflicts. It, it reads like very much like Cold War era stuff. To Absolutely. Me, and it's, it's, it's super We cool. got Franz Ferdinand Binks who gets assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> Never did I think the words Franz Ferdinand Binks would be uttered on this show. Thanks, Sam. So get ready for a little history lesson. We'll, we'll get through this quick. Don't you worry if you're snoozing. If you like this sort of thing, then enjoy. Because I war history is pretty cool. Fictional war history, even better. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I <laughs> yeah. agree. The Great Sith War is the first major conflict of the era. This starts with a small group of tyrants, the Krath, in the Deep Core, who slowly plunges the entire galaxy war the jedi claim victory against the Krath sith mandalorian coalition when they defeat ulrich quell droma their would-be sith lord and former jedi who was actually sent to infiltrate the Krath in the beginning pretty wow. fun pretty cool 
twists and turns and right? bends and stuff like that. The book goes into great detail about all of these conflicts in their history, and I strongly encourage anyone to look them up because we're, we're not going to cover that in the show. That's a little bit outside of our scope. Cheat line steel, Stephen. The line reason steel. that these are here is for you to take any elements you like and bring them into your own adventures, into your own games. Absolutely. And the book does a great job of um, it, basically all these wars are different backdrops for different campaigns you might run. And each of these wars have particular themes of their own. The big one for fighting the craft in the Great Sith War is intrigue and mysteries. The craft are the ultimate mysterious enemy. They're kind of like a dark side Illuminati type. They're run by nobles. They're inspired by ancient legends of the Sith. And they eventually go on to form a somewhat simulacrum of a Sith empire of their own. Um, and that sounds ripe to me. So after the Great Sith War cools off, the newly formed Mandalorian Neo-Crusaders, just a, a, you know, a, a militant anti-government group, decide they've had enough of the Republic, uh, who actually really struggle to fend them off in what's called the Mandalorian Wars. Uh, the, in this war, the Republic is nearly brought to complete collapse. For one key reason, they do not have the aid of the Jedi. Wait, really? Yes. The Jedi, this, this is the, the like, motivating factor for Revan to do what he does, because the Jedi refuse to help the Republic from being utterly like wiped out, wiped by, Mandalorians. out by Mandalorians. The Mandalorians easily refill their ranks with new recruits off of each of the conquered worlds at this time, while the Republic is helpless against the result. There, the book really emphasizes that this is your gritty, low force, barbarism versus civilization campaign. Like if you want to focus on like straight warfare, maybe you want to do an old Republic campaign, but don't want too much flashy Jedi bullshit. Then here you are. You know, you are in the mud, Republic soldiers barely fending off you're a, Mandalorians. You're a recruited farmhand having to fend off fucking fully armored Mandalorians from, like, taking your planet. Yes. And that's cool. Yes. Oh, I just got a really cool idea for a campaign. Well, there you go. This time. Do you want to share it with the class, Stephen? This is what the show's about. Inspire someone. I do. I was just waiting for the, the bus to pass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. That better mic. Um, I would, it'd be cool if you were some sort of ragtag early recruit Republic soldiers and you spend the whole campaign on the retreat from the Mandalorians that every encounter, every conflict is just trying to make sure as many people can get off the ever receding front line alive. There's a game that does that. Oh, yeah. What? Crash in the Light. FTL. Oh, yeah. FTL is a lot like that kind of similar <laughs> setting yeah. where, where it's the, the conflict is unstoppable. You're more just damage control trying to, you know, open pathways for refugees, scrounge up resources, take the fight back when you can. Line steel. Take that, put it in your Swissy game. No one will be the wiser. Unless you tell them, in which case, you know, they'll be wiser for it. Don't tip your hand. I tip your hand to my friends and players all the time because I want them to be excited about what I'm doing behind the GM screen, but I think it does more harm than good. Call the prestige, Steven. Don't tip your hand till you release the cards. Is that how it goes? Is that the magician's code? (laughs) Sure. I think that's the magician's code. All right. It's Revan time. So that's my favorite part of Kotor where he looks at the camera and says, It's Revan time. (laughs) Stand back. I'm beginning to rev. Um, yeah, so Revan's had enough of this whole like Jedi non-intervention bullshit. He's like, people are dying. The Republic, which the Jedi are sworn to defend, I, I think, are, uh, are are at the brink of collapse. We need to do something. The Jedi say, no, don't do that. That's bad. War is bad. Remember, we just had the war with the Krath. That was super bad. Revan's like, I don't care. Uh, me and my friends, we're Revankists now. We're going to go fight the Mandalorians and, and save the Republic. And they do. Kind of. Play Coder. So it gets there eventually. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Jedi still, yeah, after Terrace, pretty much like 
play through Terrace, play two more hours of the game, you're in Coder. That's Coder <laughs> right there. Like, meet you. It's not really Coder until you meet Juhani, pretty much. Sam's looking at me like, who the fuck's Juhani? Don't, don't, don't <laughs> call me out on this show, Steven. <laughs> oh, no. I'm a Star Wars poser now. <laughs> no, you're not a poser. You literally have a Star Wars podcast. Uh, the Jedi Civil War is about betrayal. I mean, think of those three words. Jedi Civil War. Like, this is a nightmare scenario. This sucks. Big time. Jedi are falling to the Sith left and right. The Revenkists have a legacy of desolation and violence that scars the psyche of every Jedi that comes after them. It's rough. Uh, th- this is this is your your setting for a campaign focused on betrayal and light versus dark. This is another opportunity to go crazy with the Jedi versus Sith bullshit because this is the peak of Jedi versus Sith conflict. This is Jedi versus Sith without any of that Inquisitor crap. <laughs> I don't need these fucking Jedi lights trying to get on my ass. I want pure Sith versus Jedi action. This is also the time where the Sith reach their height and power and become the mythological Sith Empire with Sith troopers, Sith officers being ruled by Sith lords. This is where the Sith take on very much the role of the Empire during the classic era. And they're so fucking cool. They don't even need lightsabers, Steven. They use fucking swords sometimes. Sometimes. That you're thinking you're going a little too far back. We're, far back. we're, we're in like full lightsaber territory by this okay. point. Yeah. Like you can go. There's a whole era, I think, like before this. I don't even remember what we call it. But when does the light axe come into play? <laughs> don't ask me that question. <laughs> and followed by that is the Dark Wars. These are kind of your Cold War conflict. I, I was reading through this and it definitely seems like a really cool like black ops kind of campaign. This galaxy is where, of Intrigue. Crack it open. Exactly. This is your Galaxy of Intrigue one. During the Dark Wars, the Sith are fragmented warlords with divided parcels of planets, much like the early days of the New Republic in Legends continuity. The Old Republic during this time is the largest and most stable player, but pretty much only by default. Uh, this is relatively stable times compared to the other three wars, and there are visible but somewhat minor threats. The big, like, worst-case scenario for this era is that a Sith Lord is actually able to unite the discrepant Sith Warlords and pose a unified Sith threat to the Republic once again. Um, Plague Coder 2 if you want to figure out how that goes. Yeah, if you yeah. <laughs> if or, you want an idea of how that goes, yeah. the subtitle of the game is called The Sith Lords. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, you know, it's a narrative choice game. You play a role in deciding what, what comes of this. So uh, go crazy. It's wild that video games can be narrative choice, Steve. I've never heard of such a thing. I'm I'm more into the paper and pencil narrative choice where I make it myself in my own home and the comfort of my dice. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like that was the pillar of the, the constant warfare uh, part of a old old Republic campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The book goes into great detail about these four very long conflicts that that have deep, intricate politics that that form you know vast you know networks of of motives that that can tell stories in in this era. But those were the brief overview of of each of those conflicts. the The fourth and final pillar of old Republic storytelling that we'll be covering today is mysterious enemies. I'll read from the book again. The Game Master is looking to add a sense of the mysterious and unknown danger to their campaigns. One of the best methods of doing so is to shroud one's villains in secrecy. A classic trope of the Star Wars saga, compelling and mysterious villains can spur on heroes who seek to find out more about who they are fighting and what malicious plots they have in store for the galaxy. Sith Lords like Darth Revan and Darth Nihilus are excellent examples of enemies whose secrets make them compelling characters. Players will want to know more about a mysterious villain naturally, but it's also the responsibility of the Game Master to provide them with the ways of doing so. The book goes on to emphasize that betrayal and hidden dangers are kind of your two big tools to achieve the above. Betrayal, easy to think of. Jedi falling to the dark side. Allies betraying each other to the exchange? 
That's cool. Yeah. 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 There you go. Uh, this is also good potential for player conflict uh, with like intra party uh, betrayal and conflict. The book goes on to, to have a little bit more guidelines about doing this because this can be a potentially hairy. If you got a good group, you could pull it off. If, if, if you got a good group, it's easy to do. You have nothing to worry about. But if you're doing this with strangers, definitely like talk about that shit beforehand. Or play people new to role playing game. Also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, if I you don't know why you'd start with the KOTOR campaign. Yeah, really. Yeah, definitely don't start. <laughs> Someone's first campaign with a Kotor campaign, but you got a group of experienced players you love. This is a great era to play with some of those interparty dynamics. Uh, hidden dangers. Boy, do these old republics are full of hidden dangers. There's the Dark Reaper, which I did not hear about. It's not an exotic breed of pepper. It is a. <laughs> <laughs> Were you holding on to that one? I just for a made bit? it up. Oh, that was good, Stephen. Thank the, you. The Dark Reaper salsa. Mm, only at Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace the dark side. They, oh my God, they would totally do that. They had a Reaper sauce. But is it Star Wars themed? No, <laughs> but it was good. <laughs> it's a force training weapon rediscovered by the Krath and then used in the Great Sith War. That sounds fun. There's the mass shadow generator. If you keep playing Kodor games, Sam, you're going to learn a lot more about this. It's a super weapon designed to draw upon the natural gravity shadows generated by a planet to unleash massive devastation to everything within the vicinity of the planet of which it's used. Uh, there's also the Rakata and the Star Forge, which we won't get into too much because Sam here hasn't finished Kodor. So this is like MacGuffin Central, right? This is MacGuffin Central. Like, I'm looking for the f- fucking MacGuffin Sky Mall magazine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, that, out my favorites. It's exactly what this is. You want something to center a campaign around? Pick from one of these five or make one up that is kind of like two of them combined or three of them. Make something up. Cheat, lie, steal. There's even a medallion that turns people into rat ghouls. Wrath ghouls. Rack ghouls. It's, Rack ghouls? It's with a K. Yeah. Oh, it's a K. What yeah. was I thinking? Wrath, wrath, because evil. Well, rat ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> Like Renat, like Renat Ghouls. Renat Ghouls. <laughs> yeah, it's stuff like weird. If you ever wanted to play, play like a weird, like zombie. Yeah, weird magic stuff is where it's at here. I think Mingle Mingle might have their origins in, in the Old Republic era. Maybe. Not sure. But if you want to do weird magic bullshit, this is your, this is the time. Sam, you, you collected, these are included in a lot of the supplement books. And I'm, I'm glad you included them because these are, we're looking at some sample group concepts for your Coder campaign. We've never personally covered these. No, because and Steven and I both feel this way. Uh, our methods of playing Star Wars role playing games is we like the ragtag team that comes together to pull off the job. Pretty much or to save the, the, the empire or whatever. You we're, know. we're on our third or fourth campaign or, or like adventure of the ragtag group coming together. And it, it, I can't get enough of it. I mean, it's fine. And plus, when it comes to how we run campaigns, we kind of get a few ideas down on paper. Wait for the party. To solidify, and then the rest is 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 built off of that. And that's just what works for us. If it doesn't yeah. work for you, don't worry about it. Yeah, but I love these sample group uh, uh, guidelines. Yeah, let me read some out. Please these, do. These, these are really interesting. There's the corporate investigations team. Specialist investigators can deal with corporate issues such as fraud, theft, kidnappings, and other threats to a major company. This team should be noble heavy and supported by scouts and soldiers. Jedi are unlikely to be involved. Pretty cool. I like a noble heavy. Absolutely. It's it's not something we usually get. Usually you get like one noble in a party, you know, and And this is kind of inverted. It it sounds like it's implying there should be multiple nobles or people with noble levels and then maybe one soldier. I like this. I the, the, the point of bringing these up is to inspire you into what kind of parties you can make in an old Republic era for the people who aren't super, you know, aren't super familiar or aren't crazy, uh, into that setting yet. Absolutely. And, 
There's a gladiator team here. Gladiator team might fight as professionals out to make some credits, or the team might be forced to fight together, such as captives held in an outer rim gladiatorial pit. In the first instance, such a group is likely to be comprised mainly of soldiers and highly talented scouts. Otherwise, they can be made up of any class. I've always, 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 always wanted to start a campaign on any system in a gladiator pit. This is good. This is the, oh, fuck, we're going to die if we don't work together on this. They pulled out the fucking Rancor. We have to kill a Rancor first encounter. You know, that'd be good for like four level five-ish characters. Ooh, opening like a that. campaign on a Rancor encounter is a pretty big balls move. I like that. It's great. And yeah. then, you know, what do you do? You've won your freedom from the gladiator pit, but you realize you kind of work pretty well together and you complement each other pretty well, too. I like that. Very cool. Sounds like a Dark Horse comic. Oh, uh, It probably <laughs> is the plot from a Dark Horse comic. <laughs> Absolutely. It probably is. <laughs> There's the Jedi Covenant. Yes, here it is. Made up exclusively of Jedi, the Covenant watches over a specific area or aspects of galactic life. Subvariant for this one, the Sith Covenant as well works Absolutely. here. We all dream of our all Sith campaigns as well, and, and this is where it's done. The Sith Empire is trying to quell some sort of uprising on a small backwater outer rim world. Maybe they're secretly getting support from Mandalorians, and you got to find out why or how and take them out. Bingo. Love this stuff. Bingo. There's the scavenger crew. This one works any era. A fringe group out to make credits by scouring terrestrial battlefields and debris-strewn regions of space after one of the many battles in this era. The crew can be made up of any heroic class and might even be officially sanctioned by one side or another to salvage certain equipment, ships, or items. It's a good fit for that, um, the Mandalorian Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. As well as this next one you chose, too. Hey, like, like, but also, like, scouring anything from Mandalorians, be it armor, weapons, ships... That's always money. There's always money in that. Always money in Beskar. And this last one, there's a lot in this book. We looked at these. Yeah, there's, there's a fucking huge list. I, of these I thought things. Sam put all of them in our notes, but no, we have like five here. There's 13 in the book. Go look at these because they're really cool. Some of them are definitely not distinct, but others are really, really, really cool. Yeah, some of them are like corporate investigators, Jedi investigators. Yeah, I'm it's like, like okay. oh, all right. Um, this last one I thought was very interesting, which would, I think would make a really good campaign as well. Rescue crew. This crew specializes in rescuing civilians in space or on almost any world. They operate out of their own ships and can be of any class. This would be my Mandalorian Wars campaign. Yeah. A rescue crew. Absolutely. That'd be super cool. Like a Republic rescue crew. Yeah, like a frontline rescue crew. Like your job is to get people like to aid in, in tactical retreats. Like and it, you are it, not. It highlights one of my favorite kind of like systems in this in this game. Any sort of like medical profession, stuff like that. It's not easy to do at early levels. Yeah. And it's, you know, lethal is lethal. Like med packs are hard to come by sometimes. It's just, it's just cool. Really, really cool. Is that all you wanted to say about the KOTOR? Yeah, for now. I mean, please, there's, there's more, there's bigger KOTOR heads out there than me. I'm merely an appreciator. There's people listening to this podcast right now who likely dedicate all of their Star Wars time and energy to the Old Republic era. So please reach out. Let us know. Yeah, if there's something you think we missed that, like, a blatant like miss just we must have skipped a big chunk of the book or something to find that then please write in i would love to hear what else you think people who are interested in running old republic campaigns or people that you think would be interested in getting into the old republic setting would need to hear if it's like oh well you forgot the coolest thing the the jedi have four lightsabers in this one you <laughs> you have forgot gosh <laughs> Steven, it's the part of the show where we thank you listeners for listening. And today we're thanking Pancake House. For Yummy. For, yeah, delicious. For becoming <laughs> a $5 patron. Thank you, Pancake House. 
someone else was commenting on the patron page too. They want more cheat sheets. More cheat sheets. Yeah, yes. more cheat sheets. It was recovery by night. I recovery by night was like more cheat sheets. I, recovery by night. Um, thank you. We we thought those were pretty succinct and and cover each class very well. Was there something specific you wanted to hear about? Yeah. Was there more more different? Like maybe a different soldier variant in accompanying cheat sheet. Did you want maybe I don't know. Or you're thinking for like a prestige class cheat yeah, sheet. A, a cheat sheet for a specific skill. Subsystem of the game needs a cheat sheet. I, the wiki's pretty good at handling some of that stuff. We just wanted to compile that to be less daunting Seriously. Than, a wiki, than a wiki full of links to all the different source books yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, but uh, uh, clarify. Let, let us know what you want. And hey, anyone else who gets on the Patreon can see a few things. Uh, of course, you can vote in our build showcase, which we'll be announcing the winner to our latest one at the end of this episode. Uh, also, I have my my lovely exploration guide that is everything you need to run a Swissy adventure in the deep depths of unknown outer space or in jungle wilds or really anywhere where shit's unknown and, and scary. Uh, anywhere you can get lost. <laughs> pretty much anywhere you could get lost. You, you need the exploration guide. It's already, you can find it on Reddit for free. I, I put it up there forever ago, but this is a refreshed, slightly revised version with, uh, it's not really simplified. It's corrected a bunch of grammar mistakes and put in cool pictures and formatting. It looks just like one of the old school Swissy source books. It's pretty cool. If you have any questions or anything you want to add, contribute to the show, you can email us darktimesswse at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on Twitter at darktimesswse. That's uh, enough, enough wobbling, Stephen. Let's get back into the show. All right, let's get back into it. Stephen, I've brought us a build. You brought us a build. This is different than our normal sort of builds that I've brought us. Okay, how's that? This is a build, you know, it's a KOTOR-themed episode. Yeah. You get the cool Unites of the Old Republic campaign guide. And even though I just learned about it 20, 30 minutes ago, <laughs> um, I decided to make a full character using only the core rulebook and the Knights of the Old Republic campaign guide. Well, that's exciting. This is very, this is very Rodney Thompson's design. Yeah. Wait, what? Oh, you didn't know... The way they wanted people to play Swissy was kind of a modular way, not this like omnibus understanding that we have of it today. Oh, where, like pick and choose source books you want to include? Yeah, yeah. Okay. If I wanted to run a Knights of the Old Republic campaign, I would say, all right, gang, here's our books for this campaign. Here's the core rule book. Here's the Knights of the Old Republic book. And then I might throw on Galaxy at War or like Scavenger's Guide to droids if there was like you know, droid stuff or something. Nice way of putting it. This character I've brought today is Thea Mar, Amira Luka Jedi 6, Noble 1, Melee Duelist 1 and Sith Apprentice 2. There's something already very funny about this what? that I've noticed. Well, we'll get, I'll get, I'll tell you at the end. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, so, um, <laughs> all right. Uh, this has the Dirty Tricks talent from the Melee Duelist talent tree. Allows Thea to faint as two swift actions against opponents she threatens. Whereas Force Deception from the Sith Apprentice talent tree allows her to make a use the Force check in place of a deception. Oh, fuck yeah. I didn't even know about Force Deception. There you go, buddy. That's awesome. And well, it's it's Force Apprentice, so you do need Sith Apprentice. Sith, it, sorry, it's Sith Apprentice. So you do need the Sith Apprentice class, which is only takeable if you have a dark side score equal to your wisdom score. And if you lose those dark side points, say you atone or some weird shit like that, you lose those levels in that class. You cannot access them. You lose like the strip the two levels also. No, you have them. They're just wasted. <laughs> you just you don't gain anything from them. That's great. Uh Thea also has the power of the dark side talent, allowing allowing her to roll an additional force point die when modifying an attack roll and taking the best result of those. Uh, this paired with the strong and the force feat means she's more likely to roll an additional plus eight to her already hefty plus 13 lightsaber attack roll. Whoa. 
She also has the noble fencing style. Uh, it's a noble talent, I believe. It allows her to use her charisma bonus in place of her strength bonus when making attack rolls with light melee weapons and lightsabers. While force intuition allows her to make a use the force check in place of an initiative check. These both specialize this character to not have to rely on abilities or skills not pertaining to use the force or charisma. Those this would be helpful for Nate. You know, if you wanted to a character that's very specialized in one or two things, this would be a good stat block for that. Very cool. Um, I, I love I have a sucker for charisma fighters. So this is this is super it's such cool. a cool concept. It's right? really, really sick. Uh, she's also got two uses of the fear force power. Thanks to her conditional bonus feat of force training from being a Mira Luca. Love Mira Luca. Paired with the force technique, force power mastery, Thea can take 10 on fear checks, even in combat. Any creature at the will defense below 28 will only be able to take a swift action on its next turn, and it only costs her a swift action to do. Oh, very good action economy on this one. So this compared to like force grip, which requires a standard action to maintain stuff like that. You're thinking, oh, why don't you use force grip? You can do damage also. It's like, no, no, no. Swift action to do it, though, is the cool part. There you go. Uh, there's more to this build, but I just wanted to highlight a little bit to show how even only with one source book, in addition to the core rulebook, you can make a challenging stat block for any old Republic heroes to encounter. Very nice. Uh, Sam, the one thing I wanted to point out about this character, you, you named her Thea Mar, and she's a Sith apprentice Miraluka. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a unique thing I came up with, Steven. Uh, sure. You, <laughs> you haven't played Coder 2, which features a character named Visas Mar, who is a Miraluka Sith apprentice. Maybe they're related. Uh, Visas Mar is an orphan, I believe. Distantly related. <laughs> Second cousins twice removed, baby. Come on. Great minds think alike. Absolutely. Di- maybe they're a diet in the force, huh? You consider that? <laughs> I hadn't. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Steven, that's pretty much all we had to cover on the KOTOR source book. All right. we, we already mentioned people just reach out if there's anything they think we missed. Do you think I've been a good enough boy this week that we can skip... Name that NPC or literally kill you. This episode run a little long already, and I'd like to have some of my Tuesday tomorrow. So oh, okay. <laughs> have yourself a bit of a Tuesday. I will uh, relinquish you from the, the icy cold grip of death at this time. Mm. But you just wait. <laughs> I've got some trivia, if that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Great. It's not gonna. It's not gonna change anything. You will die. I. <laughs> God. In an interview with VentureBeat.com, former Bioware senior writer David Gator said HK-47 wasn't supposed to have dialogue in the original game, but he was tasked with writing some after he had came into some extra time. He wasn't feeling inspired. In fact, he was dreading writing dialogue for his character at all. Uh, so he cranked it out in one week. <laughs> he wrote every line of dialogue for HK-47, of which I'm, I'm sure there are dozens, if not like over 100. I looked it up. It's like an hour and 15 minutes of dialogue. <laughs> he wrote an hour of 15 of droid dialogue, killer droid dialogue in one week. HK-47 would go on to win Original Character of the Year in 2004 <laughs> Game Developers Choice Awards and Computer Gaming World's 2003 NPC of the Year Award. And of course... More valuable than any award, a place forever in the hearts of Star Wars fans. Absolutely. A, a killer droid that it, it begins every um, sentence with what kind of sentence it is. It's great. You know, I saw that they, they put HK-47 in like the Old Republic MMO and he, do, he doesn't do that. Really? He doesn't do the st- statement thing at all, which that's sucks. Weird. Sucks big time. That's like a massive misplay. Yeah, that's a huge part of his character they just ignored. Hey, that's not the only time that that MMO has done that. Though. <laughs> Don't even get me started on what they did to Revan. Um, oh, man. That's cool trivia, Steven. Thank you. I actually came across it on Tumblr 
like a week ago and just remembered it today. And then I was able to dig up the original interview. I guess like all GMs, uh, even video game writers do their best work with only a week of prep. <laughs> Gosh, imagine you, your boss makes you write, do this thing you really don't want to do. You crank it out in one week and it ends up getting two awards and worldwide praise. I have an irrelevant video game development story. Oh, it's yeah, not Star it? Wars at all. Okay. Uh, the Assassin's Creed game, the first game had no quests or anything in yeah, it. Yeah, it was just a tech demo, mostly. And then they showed it to the uh, the exec, and his son played it, and he was like, there's nothing to do, it's boring. And so, like, in, I think, like, a month, they banged out all of the quests in that game wow. before it came out. And I, I kind of like that story. It's, yeah, right? It's <laughs> very minimal. Like, it's, you know, it's kind of bare bones, but it's it's a good one. It went on to do the baseline of the, the Ezio games. Hey, they, and those did, are, they did fucking 12 of them. I don't know how many Assassin's Creed games there are too, now, but there's too, too many. many. <laughs> Steven, we have one more announcement to make. Yes, with a margin of 60% of the vote, the winner of our Bounty Hunter build showcase is Zubnug Gribgor. Congratulations to American Psycho. Thanks, everyone who played. We'll have another build showcase here. Uh, when the time is right. Subdog was great. He's, he's the Gamorian with Morian to show. <laughs> <laughs> That's like his his wrestling call that yeah. they would say. Like, yeah. The Gamorian with Morian. <laughs> and he's got a really cool personal vendetta against Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Like, what's not to like? Seriously. Right? Way to go. Thank you for listening to Dark Times Podcast. The show's presented by me, Sam. Steven is my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE, or you can email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your show. Become a member of the Patreon. Get notified when our next Build Bounty uh, po- uh, polls go up and anything else we put out for the Dark Times module, anything like that. Yeah, and, you know, support the show however you want. Uh, thank you so much for listening again. Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Mockery. Am I all right? Oh, yes, Master. Why? I am fine. <laughs> yeah, I had to get a HK one in there. That was C3PO's uh, best line, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. I like um, HK does the whole thing where he's like, I can't talk to you about my whole deal because then the guy's gonna make me go for sale for more and I want to get out of here as soon as possible <laughs> so funny <laughs> when I was a kid playing Coda for the first time and like meeting HK I didn't like understand that a Star Wars character could be like that so when all that shit happened when you meet him I'm like what I'm like am I even allowed to be playing this right now whoa a droid that kills people yeah a mean <laughs> droid he's sassy didn't you say he was inspired by Bender also? He was inspired by Bender, which when I read that, I was like, I was like, oh, of course. It why makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> of course he was. Why didn't I think of that?